Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to XYZ, the podcast about CNC, automation, 3D printing, and more. Whatever we, whatever we can think about this week. How are you, Craig? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I've literally just got back from a little trip. We've been away, um, so all in a bit of a, a a bit of a blur at the moment. But um, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Can't complain. Yourself? <laughs> yeah, going good. Uh, been good very stuff. productive. Been very really? Productive, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, we get into that in a second. <laughs> I think firstly we should maybe mention why we didn't have a show last week. <laughs> oh yes, good idea. <laughs> oh, the fact that we did have a show, um, but it's now known as the Lost Show. Um, but uh, it, it was all my fault. Um, so we had a technical issue where basically all my audio equipment just stopped, just completely stopped. So we, we actually had a, an interview. Um, so we were interviewing Bree Pettis um, from um, Bantam Tools, who make this really cool um, desktop CNC. And previously he was with uh, MakerBot and he founded MakerBot and Thingiverse and MakerMag, all these different things. Like really fascinating guy. Um, five minutes in and my audio crapped out. So we resorted to um, Aaron sort of hand- handling the, the interview. And whenever I could sort of chip in, I was using the chat. And it it, it didn't work so well, um, simply because I, every now and again, my audio would come back in. So we thought, OK, let's carry on. So it was, it was very sort of stuttered. Um, but Aaron did a great job. So we've got those recordings anyway. So the plan is to get Bree back on the show. Um, and we'll continue where we left off, and I can edit that all as one big show, um, and we sh- and we should be good to go. <laughs> yes, hopefully a bit smoother next time. Yes, yeah. At at one point, <laughs> I was typing questions on my phone and holding that up to my webcam so they could see, because I wasn't sure if they could, if they could even see my chat. Wow, well, we didn't uh, see that. We could see your chat. We never saw the webcam thing though. 
Really? Oh right. No. Jeez. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it wasn't the uh, the best of times. Let's say that. Let's say that. In Canada, we so call you that say a you've been show. busy. You've been productive. Yeah, it was very a productive. Bit of a shit show. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've just been like trying to get into a rhythm for for twenty twenty one. Um, trying to actually stick to like a production schedule this year. So you know, day. Day one of week one, I do this. Day two of week one, I do that. You know, ah. um, and it's going well how, so far. How long is your cycle? So, like from a, a batch, like day one, to how many days would it take to finish that batch before you re, you return back to loop back to day one again? Um, I'm aiming for a month at the moment. Like the biggest um, roadblock is DLC because I have to send mm. at least thirty knives to DLC each time. Um, yeah. And it takes like, you know, a week to two weeks to get the blades back. So that's kind of my um, cycle limiter, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like overall, it's been going going good. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I just sent off a, a batch of blades good to DLC. Stuff. And yeah. Yeah. It's going good. good How about stuff. you, mate? I'm sort, of, I'm sort of the opposite. I still haven't got that... Um, get up and go of the new year yet. Um, I'm still right. eking out the very last of the, the sort of holiday season. Um, and it, the way it works is my, my birthday is sort of, you know, it's just a few days ago, so sort of mid-January. Um, and we always tend to do something like go away or something like that anyway. So it's always a slow ramp up for me. And um, I've got to the point where I've, I've eaten everything in sight. I've drunk everything in sight. There's nothing <laughs> left in the house. So I now just need to get back into work, basically. Um, right. I've got no more distractions. Um, so yeah, so come tomorrow morning, it's it's back in sort of full time, nine to six, um, and doing what I do. Yeah, so it's going to be a, a a bit of a change because I've had basically three four weeks of being a lazy bastard, to be honest with you. So yeah, <laughs> I am actually looking forward to it. That sounds good. Yeah, so any any news that we've missed out on in the last couple of weeks? Because yeah, we didn't have that show last week, so we must have some stuff. What what have you seen? Uh, I've been keeping my eyes open, but nothing, nothing too crazy, honestly. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've Did been learning more about 3D printing, high-end 3D printing materials, which has been fun. Ah, which which brings me on to my bit of news, actually, the 3D printing stuff. Mm. There, there was a guy on uh, TikTok. Um, I don't know him. He's an American guy, but apparently he's, he's a famous athlete. Um, let me, I'm trying to find his name here. Jimmy Choi, who's apparently an elite athlete, but he has Parkinson's. And um, okay. he, he just uploaded a TikTok video, and he was trying to open a pill bottle. And he, he obviously found it really difficult, and he had these shaky hands, and he was finding it really difficult. So somebody who saw it on TikTok was into 3D printing. They contacted him and said, look, I, I could make something for you. That would help. Um, and he was like, oh, really? That would be great. So he 3D printed this little this little tool to help open a, a pill box, um, which this Jimmy Choi then made a TikTok video about. Um, a whole sort of community got together on on TikTok. Anybody who had a 3D printer, they were like, these are great. Let's all just print these. And anybody who has Parkinson's and who's having this difficulty with these pillboxes, which apparently is a big, big problem, um, mm. they were sending them out for like a small donation, which went, then went to the Michael J. Fox charity. Um, so, nice. yeah, there was this whole sort of 3D printing army printing these, these bottle tops, these um, pill bottle tops. Um, for people with Parkinson's, and they've now um, all the sort of IP for the design and so on. They've handed all of that over to the. Um, um, I said Michael Parkinson earlier, didn't I? 
No, you said Michael J. Uh, Fox. Oh, right. So, Michael J. Yeah. Fox, yeah. So, sorry, I'm getting, I'm getting mixed up. Um, so, yeah, so all the IP, uh, the, the design IP of, of these things are going to the Michael J. Fox Foundation as well. Nice. Um, so, you know, they're, they're really helping these people who, who had a problem, which for most people sort of went unnoticed. You wouldn't really notice, but it just shows how, you know, 3D printing, you can prototype quickly and, you know, a whole community help people out, which I think is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I've been thinking about the last little while is like, you know, I'm doing more prototype work in my shop now, mm. trying to work out like what way of making things gives me the most agility. Like I want to be able to like, you know, have an idea one day for a part or, you know, be working on a, uh, on a larger machine, design mm. a part, and then the next day the part's done. You know, hopefully with minimal interference, um, you know, minimal work from me as as little as possible. And yeah. you know, obviously I have the the big CNC mills, but like CNC milling everything is probably not the right way to go. You know, like not everything needs to be aluminum. I don't want to have yeah. to make soft jaws for every little thing. You know, so <laughs> yeah. So I've been looking into three D printing. Um, well, obviously, like I've already got a three D printer, but like the material that we use most often PLA is just not great for like industrial use. And I've got a good example of that actually. So we've Mm. just come away from a a little sort of skiing trip here in France and um, I printed off, um, I wanted like a GoPro holder that I can Mm. stick on my ski pole. So I I managed to find one thing of hers rather than design one myself, printed it out in PLA and it looked fantastic. It was like, well, this is going to do the job. Um, Yeah two runs down uh, ski slopes and you soon found the weakness in in pla it was just splitting and cracking really it's just really mm. brittle really isn't it yeah did you did, what kind of infill did you print that with like, um i think it was 30 percent infill mm. gotcha. yeah i mean it, pla is definitely brittle and i mean in industrial applications like what i'm thinking about it also the biggest issues are actually like it gets soft with high temperatures. And when I say high temperatures, I mean like 60 degrees, which is actually yeah. not not all that high. And then the other issues is that it creeps. So if you put like a bolt through it and you bolt, bolt a piece down, under that constant pressure, the plastic will really slowly flow. So like mm. two months from now, the, the part will be, have gotten squished by the bolt and the, yeah. the clamping pressure won't be there anymore, you know? So, yeah, so it's been interesting. Um, like there are a couple of options. Like for you, I know that you use your Prusa Mini um, and yes. the Prusa Mint and everything. So they have PETG and ASA as options. Yeah. Both of which would be like PETG for your um, uh, GoPro mount would have been perfect. Yeah, I can imagine. Yes, I just used what I had at hand here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then ASA is supposed to be really good too. I'm I haven't tried ASA yet, but that's that's kind of on my list my next thing but i've been printing um carbon fiber reinforced nylon oh yeah and this stuff is exotic kind of sounding <laughs> yeah yeah and i like i had to modify my printer to be able to print it like i need needed an all metal hot end hmm. um and the other thing is so i i i bought it a while ago and it's just been sitting here because i tried printing just plain nylon and that was a shit show and it still is a shit show. Like, it's it's really sensitive to moisture. Like, really sensitive to moisture. Right. So I've been drying my nylon for about 16 hours in the oven at this point at 90 wow. degrees Celsius. And it's still not printing 
right because it's still got too much moisture in it how are you storing your filaments um i have plastic boxes that i have desiccant in right um, so they're like airtight right okay okay yeah. i use um an old brewing I, I use i still do occasionally make beer and so i've mm. got a, like a temperature control brewing fridge um, hmm. So it, it works quite well, actually. So I hold my filament in there, which is around about 28 degrees I keep it at. Um, right. But I also store my wood in there that I use for knife handles too. Oh, okay. So ev everything sort of remains at a sort of constant temperature. Um, gotcha. With regards to uh, moisture levels, I probably should be checking that as well. But um, my thinking is if it's the, the, the temperature isn't changing, it's always that same temperature. So it should be mm -hmm. good, I think. Well, the thing that I thought was really interesting was that, you know, I assumed that carbon fiber nylon would be, you know, worse than regular nylon. Hmm. But it turns out it's not the case at all. Like, I, I printed with my carbon fiber nylon straight out of the box, undried. So it was about 35% humidity, I think. And it printed fine. I accidentally printed with the, the fan on and the layers still stuck pro properly. Oh, wow. like, oh. And, like, none of that shit would fly with unreinforced nylon. So... And is that with a regular nozzle, like a 0.2 nozzle as well? or something No, different? no, no. I, well, you can go as, sl as small as 0.4 with right. um, CF nylon. Like, because you've got the fibers in there, you, you can't really go much smaller. But I'm printing with a 0.6 millimeter nozzle. Like for, right. for my parts, there's not much point having a really small nozzle. Yeah, I, I've got some wood filament here, um, and that's the same. You need to use a, a larger nozzle. Um, simply mm -hmm. because all the little bits, you know, they, they'll just clog, clog it up. It's one of those things. Right. Um, but I can see you've been looking at metal 3D printing too. Yes. Yeah, so um, we talked a couple of weeks ago about BASF, the like chemical company, had introduced mm. um, like a metal filament that you could print in any printer, and then you'd send it away and they would um, debinder it and sinter it. Mm. And I've been really interested in, like, is there a an option where you can debinder and center it at home. And I just remembered this company that I'd seen a while ago called The Virtual Foundry. So their website's thevirtualfoundry.com. And they sell materials that you can debinder and center at home. And so like a kilogram of, I think it's a kilogram, maybe it's 500 grams of, of 316 stainless steel is like 70 bucks US. And then you can mm. um, fully process it at home if you have like a little heat treat oven and that's what i've been looking at um so they, they've got like brass and bronze as well they've got all these different different materials mm -hmm. um so what they're what they're calling sintering um and hopefully you can explain to me what that is that the, the debinding and the sintering um it looks as if they're using a knife making kiln um it looks like it's yeah. one of the standard sort of paragon knife making kilns so i'm wondering what sort of temperature they're going to but what what is the debinding process before that yeah, it's kind of interesting. So basically what they do is um, you put it in like a little container, so a crucible basically, like a, you know, uh, literally just a little box or a, a cylinder, like a cup that can withstand mm. high temperatures. And then you fill the crucible with um, uh, what they call a refractory ballast. So it's basically like you're packing a powder around your 3D print to kind of okay. hold it in place as the temperature goes up. If that Got makes you, sense. yeah. Yeah. So, I have to remember. I have to look at the website to see what the what the debindering temperature is. But basically, you like, you know, heat it to like six hundred degrees Celsius um, with that refractory ballast, and that 
the oxygen kind of gets in and burns off the plastic. Um, so the, the filaments is like 90% metal mm -hmm. by volume and then like 10% plastic. And so you basically burn off the plastic, which is the debindering step. And then you put a little bit of like carbon granules over the top of the refractory ballast to keep the air out. And then you heat it up to like, uh, I think what it says, like 1300 Celsius um, oh, okay. in, your, in your little kiln. And you leave it there for like 50 minutes and the, the little metal particles all kind of weld together. They sinter. Um, and then wow. you get like a metal part out at the end. Yeah, so it's stuck in what is, I suppose, almost like a dye, is it? The, the powder that you put around it, it it'll keep everything in place and, and in, yeah. its, in its shape. Yeah, and it's basically ah. aluminum oxide powder. So it's like sandblasting powder, basically. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, there's like nothing fancy about that process. Mm. Um, I could imagine the, the nozzles on there would be, would be, would take some sort of, you'd need a hardened nozzle, I assume, just because of the abrasiveness of, of printing with that much metal material, I'd have thought. Yeah, but if you're set up for, for printing like carbon fiber nylon or whatever, then you're already set up for printing the metal filaments. Ah, interesting. Yeah. So, it's, so it looks as if it's, it's very possible to do at home then. Yes. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't want to do it for everything, obviously. Um, hmm. But like, you know, if you're, you're, I don't know, you're trying to make a little turbine or, or something, like something that would be really complicated to machine, then it sounds like it might be a decent option. I don't know how good the dimensional accuracy of it is because the hmm. parts do shrink quite a bit um, during the debindering and sintering process. So I'm sure there must right. be some distortion. But like so cool that you can do that at home yeah yeah you know a proper usable solid part that's pretty cool mm -hmm. pretty cool mm -hmm. so i put a shout out on instagram for questions um yes and yeah. we've had quite a few questions coming in some specifically for for aaron um because as most people know i'm the monkey on the show here i'm the one who's trying to get as much out of aaron as i possibly can um but let's take the first one this was from jab uh, underscore knives and they're on instagram um, says, good day, sir. I'm a knife maker from South Africa, and I make liner lock folding knives on your upright machine in an EDM episode. You mentioned laser versus water jet. He says, my question is, if laser cutting grade 5 titanium liners would be viable, as I've heard people saying it hardens the titanium, making it hard to drill holes. Hmm. And he said, water jet is the other option, but as you mentioned, it may produce a tapered cut. So I was wondering yeah. if um, laser would basically cut through grade 5 titanium. Um, without hardening it. Well, I, I don't think I've got anything here but good news for. for <laughs> Congratulations. Um, yeah, there you go. So, yeah, so like number one, in, in like liner thicknesses, you're really not going to have to worry about taper from a water jet. So water jet would be totally fine. Um, yeah, in like yeah. thin thicknesses, you just you don't really have to worry too much about the the taper. And then number two, the the laser's only going to harden the titanium at the edges. So if you're worried about having to drill, as long as you're drilling away from the edges, so they, they call that the heat affected zone. There's like a zone near the cut yeah. that is hardened by the laser. So as long as you're drilling away from that, you should be totally fine. Um, so yeah. I think either way would be fine, personally. Cool. And linked onto that, do we have a question from Scott Einsman as well? Um, and he's talking about water jets, and he's talking about desktop water jets, like the Wazer, mm -hmm. which we mentioned a few episodes back, um, which is this really cool, um, like a com 
consumer version of a, of a big water jet cutter that you could just literally put on your desk and it would cut away. And he, he's asked, will he ever be practical for small knife makers to own? Um, and I said, we did talk about this, and I think it was in maybe the, the second episode, episode two. Um, mm-hmm. But I've got a friend who actually has one of the Wazers. Um, and th- I think they're probably great for prototyping, um, but when it comes to production, they can be very, very expensive. Um, and even on their website, they have like a, a price comparison of you know using the Wazer to, to, to laser cut something out. And it uses so much garnet because it's not that much the pressure isn't really really that high um and the way a water jet works is it uses garnet which is an abrasive almost like a sand um and it uses a high pressure water to sort of punch its way through the steel i suppose um but because it's not very powerful it uses a hell of a lot of garnet so i mean you say you're a knife maker as an example a a chef knife which may be sort of 30 centimeters but maybe five centimeters in width in width cutting out could take a few hours um, and we'll also go through about $60 worth of garnet, and that's for one knife. Um, so, yeah, great for prototyping, but with regards to um, production, they're not quite there yet. But I personally, I think like everything else, you know, everything sort of dwindles down from these big sort of commercial machines. And I'm sure that, you know, that will come down in cost and be able to get better pressure. Um, but where the water jet is the way to go because um, you know high powder lasers are becoming pretty cheap as well. Um, so yeah, it'll be, it'll be nice to see what what comes to the desktop um, that's affordable that can cut sort of quarter inch stainless steels, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would one hundred percent go for a cheap fiber laser laser over a cheap water jet. Hmm. Is the amount of upkeep in a water jet is actually quite high. Uh, like the the pumps and stuff in there are yeah pretty intense pieces of kit and they're like constantly mechanically working whereas like a a fiber laser has like very few moving parts yeah and i mean i mean mean, the fiber laser i have got is a is a 50 watt and i had lots Mm -hmm. of questions people saying you know can you cut a knife out with that um I wouldn't even try. You probably could, but it may take 24 hours and generate so much heat that it, it really wouldn't be worth it. Um, but it, it does a very good sort of deep etch um, for logos and sort of artwork on a blade, that kind of thing. And, and that's, a, that's a 50 watt. Um, some of the uh, knife blanks that I have cut out are using a 50,000 watt fiber laser. And these things are huge. They're the size of a, a large room. Um, so yeah, you know that sort of thing coming to the desktop. We're probably we're probably quite a few years away from that, unfortunately. Yeah, but like a one kilowatt one, that's probably not too far off. We'll see. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And yeah, those, I know that like a one yeah. kilowatt CO two laser can cut quite a bit of stuff, and fiber lasers are more effective. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. And they're fun. They're freaking lasers. They're fun. <laughs> They'll shoot We've your eyes had out. Another- yeah, yeah. Um, was it Austin Powers, isn't it, with the, with the sharks? Um, yeah. Richard Patterson asks, um, again from Instagram, um, Hi, guys, I'm just starting to assemble the parts to build my first CNC router. Um, it's going to be based off the uh, the print, I think it's print NC project, um, and the uh, domain for that is 3design.store forward slash print NC. It's meant to be an easy-to-build yet rigid machine, and it's got 16mm ball screw, linear rails, and a 2.2-kilowatt spindle with a handful of 3D-printed parts that can be upgraded to aluminium once your machine is up and running. 
So his question is regarding the motion control system. He says he's torn between a 32-bit uh, Gerbil setup or Linux CNC. Um, and this one's over to you, Aaron. Um, but as regards to a motion control system, what would you be recommended for that kind of machine? Well, the problem is we've got split experience here because you've used Gerbil a lot and I haven't used it. And I've used Linux CNC a lot and you haven't used it. So Yeah, I've only used Gerbil stuff, basically, really basic right. Gerbil stuff. Yeah, I mean, Linux CNC is really, really good. I mean, I don't think you're really going to have any problems with Linux CNC. I don't think you're going to hit any limitations, whereas with Gerbil, you might. So... Hmm. I don't know. I think you'd probably be okay either way. Um, I like Linux CNC more personally, I think, because it's it's kind of like with Gerbil, you have like your controller and then you have your, you know, G-code sender, like your computer. And then, you know, whereas Linux CNC is like all in one. Right. Um, yeah. That I mean, being... There, there are Sorry. sort of Gerbil software out there where you don't have to have a separate sender and you, you can do it in one. Um, but yeah, from my understanding of it, it is probably more limited to regards to um, file sizes specifically, I think, compared to something like, you know, something dedicated like a Linux CNC. Right. Yeah, I, you know, with Linux CNC, it's going to be more expensive. You need more stuff. Like, so with Linux CNC, you can just use the parallel port on a computer to generate your step and direction pulses for the, Remember for them. the drivers. But... Um, it's not the best way of doing it because then all of the pulses are generated in software. And so, you know, if you like open a web browser or something, then it can um, disrupt the, the, the timing of those pulses. Um, yeah. So the best way to do a Linux CNC setup is what's with, ah, sorry, it's called um, a Mesa electronics. Uh, I forget what they call it. Mesa Electronics um, stepper card. So it's basically like a PCI Express card that goes into your computer and that has a, you know, its own little tiny computer in it that actually does the step and direction. And, you know, so they're like, I think they're like 150 bucks US. But then you get like really high step rates, really consistent um, and and like really nice integration with Linux CNC. Um but Gerbil kind of gets you the same thing because it has like a dedicated controller for generating the step and direction pulses. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a six of one, half dozen of the other. Hmm. I think Linux CNC is more capable, especially when you start talking about like tool changers and, and so on. But for a machine with no tool changer, I think you're probably okay either way. Yeah. And I'd say, I mean, Richard's probably used to um, using one of these anyway, because he's actually building his first router. So you've got to assume he's got some sort of experience of using that, using some sort of CNC machine anyway. So maybe go with what you're used to. You know, if, if it's six yeah. of six one, half of the other, go with what you're used to, I'd, I'd imagine. Yeah, I mean, Linux CNC is going to grow more with you, but it's also a much more complicated setup. Like, So, yeah, yeah I agree with Craig on this one. Ooh. <laughs> first time um, ever. <laughs> uh, ben Siegel asks, um, how many knives, and this is specifically for Aaron, how mm -hmm. many knives can you make at once with your CNC setup? Um, I watched a couple of your YouTube videos the other night and just assumed you had a massive 4x8 setup. Uh, oh, interesting. But if he's seen the videos, he's seen the fixtures. Ben. Yeah. What? 
He must have started at the beginning and he's working his way. Date date order. (laughs) No, so, I mean, the answer is one. How many knives can I make? The answer is one. So, basically, my fixtures are arranged from left to right in a number of different stations. So, station one, I'm taking a rectangle of steel and I'm machining the inside, like the weight reduction in the tang. And then I'm doing the the pinholes, which are my locating features, rather. And then station two is cutting the spine of the knife. So I'm holding onto it uh, with a clamp that comes down from the top, locating it via the pinholes, and then cutting the spine. Station three is the same for the edge. Station four is doing one side of the bevels. Station five is doing the other side of the bevels. And then station six is doing the handle scales. But all of that happens in one cycle. And at the end, I get one knife. So... Yeah, it's it's actually a good way of doing it because then you're not like if if you're machining like five knives at a time, and you know you have some problem in your program or a tool mm-hmm. is worn out or something, then you're gonna have five knives that are wrong. <laughs> you know? yeah. So, I like the the one at a time process. I think anybody else answering that question would say, "I'd load up the machine as many as I can fit in." Um, but Aaron's not, not like anybody else. And if, if you've seen the more recent videos, you'd certainly see that, that accuracy is, is everything. Um, so yeah, as, as Aaron just described it is, is process there. Um, it blows my mind seeing, seeing the videos of, of the way things are done. And it's, it's not how I'd imagine them being done. So make sure you go and have a look at those videos because yeah, they will completely blow your mind, especially the well, more recent ones. I've got some more videos coming soon too, particularly on fixturing. Oh, uh, we've, so I have we've a video. heard you say that before. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's the. Um, it's been fun actually. I've been you know more productive as I said, and more doing more video editing. So oh, cool. um, I finished finished the video on making a new knife making fixture the other day, hmm. um, and I'm about halfway through doing a video showing how I went through the process of accurizing my fixture, making it more accurate. Yes, I did see an Instagram post about that. So mm-hmm. it's, it's Golf Customs on YouTube, you are, isn't it? Yes. It yeah, is. Just Golf yes. Yeah. There we go. Um, okay. We've yeah, I was just going to say, you were saying like, oh, you wouldn't imagine that it's made this way. I mean, so the way that I manufacture my knives um, is called single piece flow. That's my ideal, is to do everything one at a time. And then every step flows through one knife. Um, and that that's actually like a legit manufacturing concept um because Mm. it as i said like when you have one piece going through all the time you're exercising every part of your process all the time and you're also able to very quickly make changes you know oh this thing isn't working so you make a change and then every every part after that is the new process yes Um, yeah that makes a lot of sense batch work yeah so like yeah. lots of lots of like manu- auto manufacturing parts, uh, plants and stuff use single piece flow whenever they can. Hmm. And I suppose I do that in a very sort of manual way. So, for example, with my knives, I generally work in batches. Um, but but particularly if it's a new model, what I'll do, I'll I'll take uh, you know a, a hand a small handful of knives and go from the very beginning process to the very end process, mm-hmm. um, singularly on each on each spe- on each knife. Um, rather than do the whole batch, because in just the way you you describe, if they, if there's a fault on one, they'd all have that fault. So I'll make sure that one is completely nailed. Then I'll, I'll repeat that process over and over. Then within within the batch. Yep. Yeah, and I'm 
I'm very much working toward the idea of having everything be single piece flow, no batch work at all. So like right. I want to bring coating in-house, uh, you know, I want to do the DLC coating or an equivalent in my shop so that that way I can just coat one knife at a time. So, you know, mm. it comes off the machine, I do all the hand finishing, I tumble, I do blasting, it goes in for coating and then I wow. do the next one, you know? So yeah, we'll see. Long-term, we'll see. long-term goals. <laughs> JF Gunwork gunworks asks uh, what limitations have you run into with the old fadal control so for those who haven't seen um aaron's got these two big sort of fadal uh, machines um vmcs um are they the same model no not quite but right so one's a vmc 10 and one's a vmc 15 and the vmc 10 is actually a very rare beast um but it's basically just a vmc 15 with a slightly smaller spindle motor and no enclosure that's the only difference Got you. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, we, so he's asking about the control of these Vidal's, and he's saying, can you run long programs that see that are a large file size? Um, but because they, these are, I mean, these are pretty old machines, aren't they? Are they eighties, yeah. nineties? Yeah, nineteen ninety three and nineteen ninety seven. Okay. Okay. Machines. Yeah. So old. Hmm. Pretty pretty so, old. So I think that's the sort of basis of the question, really. Can you run long programs um, that are a large file size on, on those? Yeah, so interestingly, um, for machines of this vintage, they actually had quite a lot of memory. So even my, the machine with the smallest memory has 140 kilobytes, which doesn't sound like very much now, but in terms of like a G-code program, that's actually a fair bit. Um, And you can actually upgrade them. I think it's like six or 700 bucks for an upgrade card that takes them up to four megabytes. Hmm. Four whole megabytes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you don't have to do that. The other way, they actually have a a serial interface as well, and you can drip feed Ah. them programs. So basically, you know, you start loading a program into the machine, and then you give it a chunk of of data, and then once it's run that chunk of data, it says, give me more, and you give it more data. Um, So I actually have uh, a box called a DNC box, like a, it's basically a drip feeding box that drip feeds data to the control over serial. Um, and those boxes come from a company in the States called CalMotion. And basically that lets you run f- files of unlimited size. Like I could run a, a four gigabyte G-code file if I wanted right. to. So that's like a buffer zone then. So it, it, it'll take all the, all the data and just slowly drip it into yeah. something that can handle file out. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like the standard program that I run on my fixture setup is 20 meg um and that's no problem at all Mm. so yeah it's interesting like it you know some controls from that vintage are really really limited you know they had you know one kilobyte of memory and no way to drip feed and that's it you know so like best of best of luck but it just happens that the fidel controls um accidentally were very future-proof yeah, I always wonder when I see these these old machines because they have this big sort of Star Trek console with them with these like mechanical keyboard buttons on them, and there's all these buttons. I'm thinking, well, what would they be used for? Because because you're certainly not like inputting G code, you know, manually in on one of those surely. And I was thinking, if if you have, I mean, like with yours, you said you've got a, a serial interface. Surely everything's done sort of off that. So, well, a, but it didn't a, a used to be. You know, like, well, yeah, you have I to suppose. remember, we've got Fusion and stuff, you know, we've got CAM programs now, but, like, 
Mm. In the 90s, they had cam programs, but they also had finger cam, where you <laughs> typed this shit out yourself, you know? Like, Jeez. you'd sit there and, and look at a part and, and write the G-code by hand. And, wow. and, you know, back in the day, there was a big emphasis on machines being, like, heavy and rigid and strong. And that's because... You know, when you were roughing at a part, you would just like take one cut <laughs> around the outside, mm. you know, because you're hand programming this stuff. You don't want to have to do um, like trachoidal milling. You don't want to have to do like adaptive roughing where you're you're making like a thousand passes. You wanted to make one. Wow. You know, so yeah, there, there was a, definitely a, a period of time where you wrote G, a lot of G code by hand, you know. And the Fidal control is set up to do that. Like, you can edit a program by hand. You can kind of preview, kind of, <laughs> in, in pixels. You can see some pixels of showing you what it will kind of do, you know? Um, yeah, it, it, it was a different time. And, yeah, whereas now, it's what? like, if I'm editing a program on the control, like, that's very unusual. Yeah. So, so you're literally just bypassing that whole sort of console then. And just and just feeding it via via the serial yeah. port from your laptop, wherever it may be. Right. Okay. Kind of. Yeah. Uh, well, so the CalMotion box is actually integrated into the control. So like I have a, like a USB uh, port on the side of the control, and then mm. you talk to that box via the control itself. So you say, you type in from the little command line that's on the thing. You say CD comma ten, which means talk over the serial connection at a particular board rate, like a mm. particular data rate. And then anything you type after that actually gets sent straight to the CalMotion box. So then you can say DNC for like drip feed, comma, and then your file name. Then you hit enter, and then it starts drip feeding to the control. So it's actually pretty well integrated, um, which is nice. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. As I've always just imagined those big consoles. I just couldn't imagine what they were being used for. But that that makes sense. Yeah. Before people had laptops oh, and. Higher end machines, they would have been, yeah, manually entering almost like keyframes for the for the G code. That was just crazy. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing is too, like, you know, so I know you're you've mainly used Gerbil and you've never had like a jog wheel, mm. right? But like my machine has a jog wheel, so I can I can put it in jog mode and then I can select X, Y, or Z axis and I can select what increment I want to jog in, like ten thousandths at a time, one thousandth or one ten thousandth. Yeah. And then yeah. I can spin a little dial and move the machine. And it feels very like it's like a mechanical connection. It feels like yeah. you're, you know, ju like moving a manual milling machine. And um, yeah, because you've never experienced that, you don't know what you're missing. It's really. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I, for, I can jog with, you know, the machines that I have here, and you, you know, yeah, with you a friggin' cursor, keyboard, cursor keys on a keyboard. Yeah. yeah. There's no sort of. There's no uh, rotary action, I suppose. Yeah. So I've done that too because I've used Linux CNC and so on. But like. Yeah, yeah, you don't, you don't, don't worry, Craig, you don't know what you're missing. Like, for doing a <laughs> setup, uh, I mean, it's less of an issue for you because you're normally, like, putting a sheet of material in, bolting it down to the spoil board, and then cutting it, right? So it yeah, doesn't really exactly. matter exactly where that sheet is, really, except in Z. Yeah. Z. Um, but for me, <laughs> let's yeah. Stick, let's stick with Z. Let's stick with the Z. Uh -huh. You know, you're chucking a part in the vise, and you have to locate it to, like, a ten thousandth of an inch in all three axes before you start machining it. So, like, doing that with a keyboard, you're going to be sitting there, like, tap, 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 tap. You know, mm. like, it's going to be stupid. Whereas with the jog wheel, you can just, you know, I, like, I don't even look at the control when I'm doing it. I'm just, you know, I know where the, the three little uh, 
things are like you're turn, changing for the axis changing for the step size and then the jog wheel and you just go for it like it's it just yeah. feels really really natural yeah so. so i'm assuming you've got some sort of xyz probe on yours so each time you yes. put your fixtures in that is they're always in the right place yeah so i actually do it two different ways like if i'm prototyping something then yeah i use um what's called a hamer 3d taster it's a very funny name but um it's basically like a dial indicator that works in all three dimensions hmm. so you can it has a probe on it and when that probe deflects um, by half of its diameter, so then it, it reads as zero. So you don't have to like offset by the size of your, your probe tip, which is gotcha, something yeah. you normally have to do with um, an edge finder, for instance. Yeah. Um, you can just like jog it up against the side of the material until it reads zero, and then you enter zero in the control. Um, and that thing is so nice like they're not super mm. cheap i think they're like five or six hundred bucks us but they're just amazing i cannot yeah. imagine being without it and then for the fixtures themselves like my production fixtures um doing doing that every time like having to take it off put it back on measure where it is it's it's bullshit you don't want to have to do that mm. um so i actually bored holes into the table of my machine um for dowel pins and Got then you. the fixtures yeah. all have dowel pins on the bottoms of them. And so I can take it off and put it back on and it's in exactly the same place as it was. Very clever. Mm-hmm. Well, the the Onefinity machine, which I've ordered, has like an edge finder, for, mm-hmm. with, uh, sort of XYZ probe, I suppose. Um, but I'm wondering, I, I don't know how they work yet, so I, I can't wait for this to come so I can see. But I would imagine that we'd be looking for a, a change of current when it hits something. So yeah, if it was a conductive if sensor. it was a piece of steel, for example, that would work. But obviously using G10, it probably <laughs> won't work. Um, so I'm just wondering whether there, there would be a solution for that. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of ways you could do it, but probably the cheapest and easiest way is like you get an alligator clip and mm. a piece of like steel shim stock, and you put the little bit of steel shim stock on your material. And then yes, use the alligator clip to make sure yes. that it's connected to the ground, and then yeah, touch off that. Way. And that's a set height, and then you use that as an offset. Then I've got yeah, I can yeah, imagine yeah. yeah, yeah. Or you could use like a little steel block, or you know whatever. That, that's probably what you're meant to do. I would imagine. Yeah. Um, and you can probably do that with the tools themselves too, right? To set your tool heights. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, makes yeah, sense. Yeah, so makes I mean sense. that that system works pretty well. Cool. Cool. So like yeah. I actually use a variant of that system for setting up my tool heights on the Fidal. I have um, what's called a conductive tool setter, which is literally like it's like two plates joined by an LED and a battery. And when you you know it has the top and the bottom, and when you make a circuit in between the top and the bottom, it lights up. Oh, um, okay. And it uses the whole machine frame to complete the circuit. So you put it on the table, then you have your tool in the spindle. And when you touch the, the tool to the top of it, you make the circuit between the, the table and the, the spindle, and then it lights up. Ah, oh, gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Works great. So as, as an update, I still don't have a, <laughs> a large-scale... I say large-scale. It'll be large-scale for me compared to what I'm currently using, um, right. sort of CNC machines. But it, it is on its way. Um, it's exciting. Yeah, but 
it's you know every time there's a knock on the door i'm thinking that could be i know it's not but i've got weeks to go before it arrives but i'm just thinking it could be it could be it could be but no unfortunately not so i'm looking through our notes here and you made a little note here saying 3d printing for production is it just too slow Mm-hmm. So I thought that might be something interesting for us to talk about because uh, we've already mentioned 3D printing quite a bit in this show and it's, it's got a bit of a 3D printing focus, I suppose, um, for production. So, I mean, well, we've talked yes, about filament, various <laughs> filaments and, uh, you know, the, the pluses and minuses of whether it's PLA, ABS and all that kind of thing. Have yeah. you used any of the um, the 3D printers where you use the resin? I can't, I'm trying to think what they're called. No. Um, yeah, SLA printers. That's it. That's it. Stereolithography. Yeah. So the idea with those is, I mean, you probably know, but for the broader audience is um, you have a little bath of resin and then you have like a platform that goes into the bath of resin. And then from the bottom, you shine a a UV laser or a UV LED, which cures the resin in one one little spot. Um, And then you Mm. do that to make a whole layer and then you move the platform up and just keep adding to it. Um, and no, I haven't used one and I don't really want to, um, cause the resins tend to be kind of nasty. It's like having a mm. pool of epoxy in your yeah. shop all the time. And then you have to handle the resins and you know, yeah, they're not, if, if you have like a, a way of, uh, basically I would want a fume hood. Like I would want to be constantly evacuating the air around one yeah. of those machines to outside. I mean, I do find that even sometimes with, and you know, a normal sort of three-axis, you know, with a nozzle printer, um, yeah. that sometimes the fumes can get quite strong if you if you're using it in a you know confined space. Hmm. Um, that yeah, sometimes I think. Do you, know, you just find that with 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 PLA? Like, what materials are you printing? Um, but I've only got PLA here at the moment. Um, so, so, so yeah, and I, I think it's just maybe just the heat is generating something. But I, I've got this like little extractor port which I use with my um, fiber laser because that kicks out mm-hmm. some some horrible fumes. Um, so I think I'm going to make just a little a little Y, um, you know, a Y splitter, and and have it going up to the to a three D printer as well because um, moving into the new shop which I'll be doing in the next few months. Um, I've got this idea of a dirty side and a clean side, mm-hmm. um, and I'm, I'm quite fortunate. I'm getting, I'm getting to sort of make this from the ground up. This this whole new shop. So um, what I want is a glass sort of. It's, it's very futuristic. Um, is I've sort of designed it in my head. So it's it's split fifty fifty. It's it's a big sort of rectangular shape split fifty fifty with basically just a glass um, wall between the two and obviously right. a door between the, between the two then. Um, and the the dark side is all going to be black. <laughs> Literally the dark side. And in there will be grinders, um, anything that kicks up fumes, anything that's that would you know produce um, dirt, mess, mm. fumes, anything, is all going to be that side. And then the white side, which is going to be crisp, crisp white, Apple Store white, you know, brand spanking new shiny stuff is going to be um, completely clean. Um, so I'm thinking I may need some sort of buffer zone between the true between the two, um, like an airlock. Probably... <laughs> you go in there and <laughs> no, big big blasts yeah, of air clean you down. Just... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. But no, just so I'm not just walking crap through that kind of thing, you know. So right. I'll, I'll, I'll make some sort of let's say a buffer zone. Um, 
But um, yeah, I want so I want the anything with fumes or dirt to be over in that dark side, um, and and for that dark side to have really good extraction. So you mm. know, particulate extraction as well, just in the air, cleaning the scrub in the air at all points, um, and each machine to have its own um, extractor point as well, whether that's for dust or wherever it may be. Um, uh, and where do you think three D printer is going? Well, that's the question. That's the question. Um, I've noticed just just recently just printing off these little parts you know the gopro bits and pieces that i've been doing um and i've been making these little um jigs as well for um grinding knives funnily enough right. for the 3d printer and they they do work quite well um they've been kicking out this these this fumes um so i'm thinking maybe they need to go in the in the dirty side um wrong yeah, that's, that's... <laughs> <laughs> incorrect answer craig yeah don't do, don't well, do that don't do that to your printer the, don't do well that i mean that's the thing they've got, got all these sort of exposed electronics on them um and going anywhere near a grinder which obviously is, i'm grinding a lot of metal um there's iron filings everywhere so it probably isn't the right place but maybe that needs to be in the buffer zone maybe i have a third room <laughs> which is which is dirty not that dirty and surgically clean. Maybe, you could have maybe a gradient a of rooms. You could have 255 <laughs> stages of rooms. <laughs> yeah. Each one more dirty than the last. No, I, I, I would say don't do extraction because the problem is if you decide you want to start printing with like ASA, which I think you mm. probably should given, given you know, your use cases um, yeah. or PTG, then like the airflow from the extractor is going to cause all your prints to warp. Um, yes true yeah so i would personally if i was you i would just build a box around your printer just build like a you know an airtight enclosure and mm. just close it done problem solved yeah and that's you know particularly helpful with things like abs anyway because you need that yes. sort of temperature to be very stable so that would help that way too yeah and then you don't really have the fumes because they're in a box yeah so they're on the clean they've made it to the clean side there you go done what's, what's your next side? problem craig <laughs> Let's knock them all down. Well, one thing yeah. I did want to... Um, so I want to go back to 3D printing in a second, but we, um, I got a, an Instagram message from JF Gunworks. So we were talking about the Fidal control, and that was his question. But yes. he sent me a video of his Grizzly G0704 CNC conversion. So this is a little little tiny milling machine that's been converted to CNC. Yeah. And it was Which cutting... I think we talked about the week before last, didn't we? In, in yeah, and episode. I was kind of shit-canning yep. them. I was like, ah, you know, I don't think they're ever going to be that great. And he sent me a video that, that blew my mind. Um, it's just his little machine. So I, I have a joke with my girlfriend. Like, you know, whenever I'm talking about a machine, I'm like, oh, that machine's got the Burt Burt. And, you know, Burt it... Burt. Yeah, so it's a, it, it comes from, um... do you know the plane, the A-10 Warthog? No. No. Okay, so the A-10 Warthog is, is the America's tank killer from from like the 80s. It was basically right, a, okay. a plane built around a gun. Okay. So the, it was built a around gun with the wings. Yes, it is literally a gun with wings. Like at one point, the gun's recoil produces about 50% of the force as the engines do. Wow. Like okay. it is a huge gun. It is literally a plane built around a gun. Um but yeah, there's a joke with that plane that it's got the burt burt because that's the noise that it makes burt burt when it's shooting, okay. and uh, <laughs> a good milling machine should make that same noise when it's when it's roughing materials. It just goes burt, you know, chews through the material. There's no high pitch yeah. noise. 
and JF Gunworks little G0704 mill was cutting aluminum and it was just rumbling. Perfect. It's got the burt burt. It's got the burt burt. So like <laughs> I was super impressed with uh with that little machine. So I I he did send me some videos. I'm going to post them on our Instagram. I just have to make sure that that's okay with him. But like yeah, it sound, it sounded great. I was super impressed. So you know, maybe that's more of an option than you think. Uh, aluminum in that case. Right. Um, which is definitely easier than steel. But he was taking a pretty aggressive cut. He was taking, I think it was like three-eighths of an inch deep with a quarter-inch end mill straight through and like a slotting. So like wow. full width of cut. Yeah. Um, that sounded great. So, was, so yeah, maybe impressed. we can get him to do some some hard milling for us. He can be our tester. He can test <laughs> his machine for us. <laughs> that would be fun, actually. Please don't, please don't break your machine on our behalf. You can break it on my behalf. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I would happily send him some tools and some steel if he wants to do it. So, JF Gunworks, you know where I'm at. Maybe we need to do a hard milling challenge. That sort of takes us on a bit to what we talked about last week. So we had our guest last week, and um, at the top of the show we mentioned this, and we're going to get him back on, so all the questions that we asked we will actually edit into into one show. But we did go into that a fair bit, didn't we, into sort of hard milling on a, on a smaller machine. Yeah, yeah. and he was a bit horrified when I said I, if I had one of those <laughs> machines, I would try it. He was like, oh. <laughs> yes, yeah. But what, what we, we have an opportunity now at least. So, we, okay, we fucked up last week. I fucked up last week. <laughs> but we do now have an opportunity. So if anybody has questions for Bree, um, send them through to us because he's got such this, this great past of uh, you know of being a maker. As I say, he he founded MakerBot, and for me, they were the company that really brought sort of three D printers to to the desktop. Um, certainly got me into three D printing, you know, all those years ago, and and you know he's influential um, with regards to you know homemakers, um, and I think that's the goal really with with the Bantam Toolworks CNC as well to to you know to to make what would normally be, you know, prototyping it in a factory, making it accessible to people to people at home. Yeah. Um, and obviously he's got a background then with, you know, Thingiverse, which, you know, the library of 3D print files, and and he wrote for Make Magazine. He's re- so he's got this really varied past. So I'm sure lots of you have questions for him. So if you have, send them through, and we can we can put them to Brie um, when, when we do get the chance to re-record to. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah. The little machine's super cool. I, I would love to try hard mailing on one. I mean, maybe that's just uh, too evil, but like, I definitely want to try it. <laughs> try it till it breaks. Is that what you're, is that what you're trying to say? See, uh, see what the breaking point is. Yeah, I guess so. If I break it, I'll support it. You know? That's true. That's yeah. true. So you wanted to mention something about 3D printing before, before we left, before we finished the show. No, I... Uh, I don't think so. That was the the JF Gunworks thing that I wanted to mention. The three D ah, printing. Well, I've got you. Is it too I've slow for you. production? I, I mean, so like Prusa, the guys that made your your little printer, they don't agree mm. with me because like all of those parts are printed on their printers. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it now, and it's it's basically three D printed. There's there's some aluminium extrusion for the uh, for the Z axis, uh, but virtually everything else is three D yeah. printed apart from the bed. Um, and their print farms are pretty crazy. They have like thousands and thousands of their own printers. Printing have you seen that video? Where it, there's, it's like nine stories, this building. Have you seen the video yeah. on YouTube? It's incredible. Yeah. Incredible. If, if you go on YouTube and watch like the Prusa factory tour, it's very, very cool. I actually want to go to Prague yeah. now just so I can go just say go. hello. You know, yeah. Very, <laughs> very cool. And like, it's honestly like they're, they're eating their own dog food. 
that's what we would call it. Yeah. You know, they're using their own printers way harder than anybody else is ever going to, basically. Yeah. And so. I think I've said before, this isn't the third printer that I've had. So I had one of the original MakerBots, um, and I, then I had a, a Sapphire Pro, which I've still got here. Um, but the, any other printer I've used have just been so finicky. Mm. Um you could never run run it sort of twenty four hours a day because you're always fixing something on it. They're, they're, they're a project. You always yeah. have something, but with this Prusa, it's just incredible. You turn it on, and it does its own sort of. It's got it's got like a, a Z probe, um, so it'll work out you know the distance to the bed. Uh, once you've done that once, it's all set up, ready to go. I've never had to make an adjustment, um, and I can just turn it on. I don't know it'll just print perfectly every time. Mm-hmm. So that would be a great guest to have Joseph Prusa on the show. Maybe we could work yeah, on that. Yeah, that'd be fun. Well, and is yeah. yours the Mini or the Mini Plus? I uh, it's the Mini Plus. Um, okay. It was the Mini that I think I ordered, and during that time, because there's there's still quite a wait. I still think it's about five six weeks at least actually um, right. before delivery. And during that time, they'd upgraded to the Mini Plus. Yeah, and um, the Mini Plus. So the Mini Plus has a different height sensor on it for, for it does sensing yes. the bed, and it's supposed to be a lot better than. They tried to like do a less expensive one to keep the price down, and it just didn't work as they wanted. Ah, it right. Too. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm still like you know I've looked at so many 3D printers over the last little while, you know, and so I have a friend that um, he literally tests 3D printers and 3D printing filament for his job. So oh, whenever wow. I have a question, I send him an email, and he, you know I said okay, if you could have one printer, what would you buy? And he was like a Raise 3D Pro, and so that's mm. like a three and a half thousand dollar fdm printer right like it's not right. cheap but it'll print anything you know carbon fiber whatever you want to print it but even looking at the prints off that machine i'm still tempted by the prusa mini because it's mm. just it just yeah as you said it just works yeah they just seem and I think like, it's like bulletproof 300 dollars. it's not not particularly expensive um oh i think they're the, 400 us read ah oh, right okay okay yeah, it works um, at like I mean, 700 the, the, canadian the build volume isn't the biggest, but I've never printed anything that would be over sort of seven inch cube. But anyway, yeah. so it's you know it's more than big enough for anything I need. Yeah, that's what yeah. she said. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm on the wrong show. I'm uh, sorry. I'm, I'm yeah. You're I'm, I'm in the mindset skin. of doing a different show there. <laughs> yeah. Should we talk about our testicles before we go? <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I, I yeah. I mean. I think that if you just have one printer, then yeah, printing for production is hard, 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 hard. Yeah. But like the the approach seems to be, well, that's fine. They're little and they don't use much power, so just get ten of them. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, and don't worry about the electricity consumption until later, till the bill comes. <laughs> well, they don't use that much power, honestly. Like my CNC machines sitting there doing nothing consume a kilowatt. Do, do, do you know what uses the most power with my 3D printer here? <laughs> so when I first got it, um, it wouldn't do anything. And I was like, oh, I've, I've been sent yeah. to dead. Yeah, yeah. Um, and basically, it needs a minimum temperature. Um, but the error message on the screen doesn't tell you that. It just says, like, you know, a, a generic error. And I was like, oh, well, what's this? But you need to be, um, I think it's 18 degrees C um, before right. it'll even start up. Um, and that's something that could change in the firmware. Just you know, just change that uh, that error message so people would understand. Um, but me being silly and me, me wanting to it to work immediately and not having to wait around, I was like, oh, it's broken, it's broken, it's broken. Anyway, so I contacted them. I said, no, it, it needs. Oh, sorry. 
Sorry, Siri's uh, going, going to be crazy. Um, but no, they said it needs to be over 18 degrees. So because my shop is so cold this time of the year, I'm probably using more electricity to heat up the area that the printer is in than the printer right. actually uses. Um, but, you know, that wouldn't be a problem in the summer, obviously. Well, there you um, go. I've got another suggestion for you then. Chuck it in your enclosure and then um, use like a hydroponic grow mat or like a seedling grow mat <laughs> underneath it. Right, and you just keep the enclosure warm. I'll be on a list. If I start ordering stuff like that online, I'll be on one of those lists that you're on. Yeah, yeah, serious. I'm on worse lists than that. <laughs> yeah. And All on right. that bombshell, I think that's a show. I think so. I think so. So remember, if you've got questions for Brie, um, send them through to us on Instagram. We are xyz.cnc on Instagram. Um, and again, any any sort of CNC-related questions you have or machining questions, um, send them through. Um, I won't have a clue what you're talking about, but maybe Aaron can help. Um, and all this time, people are wondering, well, why are you doing a show about CNC? And it's a case of sort of osmosis for me, putting myself in the environment where... Other people are asking questions and Aaron's using, you know, his wealth of information to, to help. I'm slowly taking that in. And that is basically how I got into knife making. So um, as a knife maker, I was just, you know, happily doing my own thing. Um, and then I started Knife Talk, which is another podcast that I do. And, and thankfully, Aaron was one of the, I think you were the third guest on that show or second or third guest. Um, mm. And that's since gone on to do, you know, a few hundred episodes. But the knowledge that I got from doing the show by speaking to you know far smarter people than me has been a big help. So that's the purpose of me doing this show. So um, yeah, to gain as much knowledge as I can from not just not just Aaron who knows virtually everything, um, but you you listeners as well. So if you've got any questions, send them in um, because it all helps to sort of feed my knowledge bucket as well. Oh, well, you're learning now. When you look at a big machine cutting something, you'll go, "Hmm, Bert, Bert." <laughs> <laughs> bird, bird. And those buttons, they actually do something as well. Yeah, there you go. Today. <laughs> That's the show. Thank you all very much for listening, and I wish to speak to you again next week. Bye, guys. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.